Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people, the whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit! We are now addressed by the living Lord through his living word. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of, span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Friends, this is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us into these spaces this morning. And as we come from different backgrounds, different stories, like Joanna mentioned earlier, Father, would we be met by the God of grace and mercy as you have shown yourself to us, truly in your scriptures and in your Son. Jesus, thank you for your work on the cross, that everything that you taught, you have backed up by your blood. And so whether we are here this morning, Father, from places of deep skepticism in relation towards you or deep commitment of faith and, or everything in between, Father, would we move closer to the one given for us and for the world. Grant us your Holy Spirit now that we would understand this, your living word. We pray, Jesus, in your name and for your sake. Amen. You can be seated. Graduation season has been on my mind for the anger clan of which I am a part, and also college is back on my mind as we send our first kid to college this coming fall. But enough about them. About me. Let me tell you about my college experience here for a second. It was the best of times and the worst of times when I went to school. Lots of good things happened. Learned a lot of stuff, read a lot of good books, Met a lot of good friends that I keep in touch with to this day. I talked with a good friend of mine from college. This past week, we talk every couple of weeks. We've done that for the past 20 years or so since I've graduated. Met one friend in particular that I talk to just about every day, and that's my wife, Emily. Also met Jesus at college, which was also wonderful and life-changing for me. And 
like I said, read a ton of good books, wrote lots of papers. All those things were really great. But then the flip side, if you've been to college and maybe you loved it, maybe you hated it, maybe somewhere in between, for me, it was a time when I felt constant pressure, felt like I was constantly busy and always tired. I was overcome so much of the time by stress and anxiety. To the point where, if you would have asked me, Jim, did you like college? I would have said, ah, a lot of the time, bottom line, I don't think I did. But then a few years ago, with the family, we went back up to New England and went to the campus where Emily and I attended. It was Dartmouth College in the middle of New Hampshire, in the middle of the White Mountains. And I was struck all over again by how incredibly beautiful that college campus was. It had colonial-style buildings everywhere, and colonial style as in not that they're aping the colonial style, but they were built in colonial times, mid-1700s, all of these great buildings. And there's a traditional village or college green in the middle of the campus, and 360 view all the way around in every direction, you can see the White Mountains of New Hampshire. And I remember telling Emily something like this at the time, you know, it's a shame that these mountains weren't here when we went to college. They, they, they must have been recent additions to the, it's all these capital campaigns, the college built the mountains. But no, they were there. I don't think I realized for a day how beautiful even the campus was. Because stress and anxiety were so omnipresent and pressuring me all the time. I don't know what I was doing. I look back on it, and if you would have asked 20-year-old Jim, Jim, how are you doing right now? 20-year-old Jim would have said, not good. I have so many responsibilities right now. And 45-year-old Jim would have said, oh, tell me about those responsibilities, 20-year-old Jim. I'm, I'm eager to hear. And I would have said, well, this is what I have to do. And granted, I'm not under any financial pressures at all. I'm fortunate to have been supported through college by my parents, and I didn't even have to take a part-time job to make a little extra money. I, I didn't go into debt, but let me tell you the responsibility and the pressure and the burden. And okay, 45-year-old asks 20-year-old Jim, oh really, who's depending on you right now? And 20-year-old Jim would have said, well, kind of nobody. <laughs> Nobody's depending on me at all. And there's been a fairly radical shift of, of that whole reality for me since then. And then last question from 45-year-old Jim. Okay, well, like, what's so bad about your life right now? This is it. I have to read a ton of books and write papers about them. And life is so incredibly hard. But as far as my heart was telling me at the time, I was miserable. And it just didn't work. Wasted years because of anxiety. And was my life worse at that time of anxiety and stress for me? No. And if I compare that to some other points in my life, I was happier, more content, more calm at other points in my life when, in fact, life was a lot harder. There were more people depending on me. There were more stresses. But I was more content and happier. So it's not about the external circumstances. I think for us, often when it comes to stress and anxiety, it's how we process it. It's how we respond. It's about what goes on inside. 
but whether in the literal sense, when I was in college, I was blinded by the beauty that was all around me, or more generally, stress and anxiety blinded me. And so I have these gaps. There's a term from text criticism. Let me give you, put on my text critical hat. So text criticism is a field of biblical studies, but all classics are ancient studies. When you try to figure out what the original manuscript, whether it's the Bible, whether it's Aristotle, whether it's Plato, whatever ancient writing it is, what actually did that ancient writing say? Was it this or this? We have different manuscripts that sometimes say different things. There's a term for text criticism, here we go, called lacuna which comes from the Latin word for lake. A lacuna is a gap where scholars will say, okay, we're, we're reading along, reading along, reading along, and we think, even if there's not a ton of ev evidence for this, something is missing. There's just a gap. Some of the words from the original writings just haven't survived to us. In fact, quick lacuna story. This is why I came to church here this morning. I had a philosophy professor as a philosophy major. One assignment, which was a small one, gave us a couple of pages of the Nicomachean Ethics by Aristotle. So here are a couple of pages. What I want you to do for tomorrow is read it, summarize the argument, and then interact with it. So I took on the assignment, and I really didn't have any idea about what Aristotle was saying. And I tried to summarize the argument. I, I couldn't figure it out. And I reached out to a couple of friends and said, hey, are you making heads or tails of this? And so we just kind of did our best to fudge the paper and then came back the next day and the professor said, this was actually a trick. Most Aristotle scholars think that there's a lacuna, a gap here, because it doesn't make any sense at all trying to fit the argument together. So, so there must be a gap. All that is to say. And the professor went on to say, so if you couldn't figure it out, you're good. And if you understood what Aristotle was saying, you probably need to read more Aristotle. And so there was a combination of both relieved and nervous laughter in the room at that point. Point being, lacunas, gaps. I feel like I have lost years of my life, college or otherwise, large periods of time to lacunae of blindness and not being present due to stress and anxiety. So I am 45 years old. I remember less of those 45 years than I should. At points because of stress and anxiety. It's real. What about for you? Would you say similarly that in your own life and in your heart, it might be a thing? We'll talk about different kinds of stressors in a moment, but haven't we lost time? even lost years. We'll talk in a moment whether retrospectively or prospectively. It takes years away from us. And so here we are in the Sermon on the Mount, which is probably the most famous sermon that Jesus of Nazareth ever, ever preached. It comes from the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, one of the four narrative accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew chapters 5 to 7. covers a ton of different topics. It's a great sermon. When I preached through the Sermon on the Mount, the snarky title of the sermon series was Best Sermon Ever, because it probably was. Lots of different topics, but I focused here going back to the one on anxiety, because at least for me, it's personal. And when it comes to this aspect of my life, I can find myself jaded 
where I'll just say, anxiety, stress, it's never going to change. It's just who I am. Even if Jesus wants to lead me into other places, yeah, I'll work with a sense of hope with the help of the Holy Spirit and by the scriptures to grow in these areas. But stress and anxiety, forget about it. It's just who I am. But whether you're here this morning in the room or worshiping online, whether you are a committed Christian or a skeptic, what do we have to lose in heeding the words of Jesus of Nazareth and growing out of our cauldron of stress and anxiety in which we so often find ourselves? What do we have to lose? So two parts from here. Reality and reorientation. Reality and reorientation as we access this piece of the Sermon on the Mount. Starting with verse 25, it starts with a therefore. Another Bible reading tip that for most of us will be more relevant than text criticism. Starts with a therefore. Bible reading tip. When you see a therefore, you say, what's the therefore, therefore? So before this, in Matthew 6, 25, Jesus is talking about money. And he says, don't let yourself be controlled by money. Right before this, he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, money and possessions type stuff, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Or right before this in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters, God or money. Which is it? And it's a forced choice. You can't say, I'll serve neither of those. Because they're such powerful lords. Either you're going to serve the living Lord, or your God will be money and finances and financial stress. And isn't that true? There are other stresses than financial, but so many of them are stemmed from money and possessions. Whether we have a lot of them or not, they can be shackles for us. And now Jesus goes on. And in this passage here, starting with Matthew 6.25, Jesus digs deeper. He drills down and gets to the root of all of these issues with money and possessions. It's not really about the money. It's not really about the possessions. It's about your heart. It's about your stress. It's about your anxiety and what you do with it. And we live in a stressful age. We are all ball, balls of anxiety in so many different ways. In an earlier draft of this sermon, I put together some statistics that demonstrate that over the past few years, there's been a huge uptick in diagnoses of anxiety disorders, whether clinical or from therapists and counselors saying, so many people come to me with anxiety, all the statistics, and I ended up saying, I'm not going to give you those statistics because they made me nervous, they made me anxious, but just take my word for it, that there are tons of statistics out there that say, clinically and otherwise, we are becoming more and more nervous. But over the past couple of weeks as well, I've tuned into a scholar, San Diego State University named Gene Twenge, who's done research about anxiety and stress specifically related to things like social media and connectivity in young people. I've known for a while, I've seen plenty of studies that say there's a connection between, especially in young people, but not only, in use of the internet, use of social media, and depression. 
also apparently anxiety and stress. The more wired in we are, which might be counterintuitive on the surface, the more connected to other people and wired in we are, the more anxious we become. And maybe it's true for you as it is for me, it's just normal. It's just who I am. And so ask your question as we go through the sermon from here, talking about anxiety and stress, what are yours? In what ways, at what times, with what pressure points, over what issues? Where are your specific stress balls? And here's some realism when it comes to stress. It's simply the case that when we stress out and when we live in a web of anxiety, it is harmful and useless. Harmful. Not a doctor. Just play one on TV. But the more you stress, the less long you'll live. And by that I mean you will live less long the more you stress. And by that I mean however long you might live if you were not a stressed out person, you will live less time if you actually stress out a lot. It's just the reality. It's harmful. It's bad for us. So Jesus is gracious to give us the command, stop stressing. Do not be anxious. Thank you, Jesus. And then also useless. It doesn't do anything. And some of you have heard me talk about before how, at least for me, when I enter into periods of stress, it's like a counterfeit mechanism of control. I go to my stress gym. And do you know how when you go to like Planet Fitness here on Haddon Avenue or wherever, when you have different days for different sets of muscles, uh, today's an arm day, today's a core day, today's a leg day, today's a cardio day. I'm speaking hypothetically. I haven't been at a gym in decades. I hear that's how, it, that's how it goes. So thank you for going to the gym on my behalf. But I have these different genres of stress. And so it's an arm day. This is when I stress out about my kids. Got to put them to work. Or I'm doing some core stuff. This is financial stress. Or this is a leg day. A lot of political stress today. Or here's just amorphous floating stress. That's my favorite one. I don't even know why, but it's about nothing and everything at the same time. But if I'm not careful and self-aware, I can think that if I'm stressing out about this and putting in the time, that it's actually controlling or helping the situation. But it's not. It doesn't do anything productive at all. Realism. In verse 27, Jesus says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? It doesn't do anything for us at all. And as a pastor, I have a front row seat for a lot of joys and a lot of wins and a lot of successes and a lot of things that people are thankful for. One of the best parts of my job is being a cheerleader, saying, yeah, we're in your corner. This is great. Let's celebrate with you. But then you see a lot of hard stuff, too. And I wonder why we're so anxious for control and say, if I could only control a little bit more, because so much of our lives is outside of our control. Why do we stress out about it? Jobs, for example. You might be the Wolverine of whatever you do. 
the best there is at what you do. But even if you're awesome at your job, and let's face it, most of us are not, so somewhere between awesome and horrible, probably. But even if we're awesome and you're doing the best job possible, so many times I've seen my company was bought by a larger one and there's no job for me anymore. Or if you go back to the earlier mid 20th century, you may have been the best milkman or ice man that you could be delivering milk and or ice every day. But then comes refrigeration and your entire field is wiped out. Hey, can you work on refrigerators? No, I'm a milkman, I'm an ice man. It's the same, but totally different. Or health, it's crushing to me as I get older to have an increasing number of friends and people at church have mounting health issues. It's not just the generation ahead of me now, it's mine. But for some of the healthiest people I know, they've had experiences where annual physical year after year after year, clean bill of health, everything's great, don't change anything, keep going to the gym, eat and drink whatever you want, it doesn't matter because you're, you're built like a tank. But then one year, <clears throat> blood work, annual physical, maybe a nurse calls back and say, hey, could you come back in for a couple more tests? We think it's nothing but could you come back in? And then a couple more tests, and then a couple more tests. Hey, we just wanna eliminate the worst case scenarios off the table. Could you come back in for a couple of those? And then a couple more, and a couple more, and a couple more. Completely outside of our control. Or finances. You might be somebody that is completely on top of budgeting and spending, very disciplined, very put together. But have you noticed that things are getting more expensive? And all of your very good stewardship of finances and budgeting are stressed by forces outside of your control. And it's not unusual in the history of the world, including our country, for a bank to come to you and say, how about them Phillies? And sorry, we lost all your money. It's not there anymore. It's gone. Why then do we stress so much? when so much is outside of our control anyway. At the end of the passage, realism. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Jesus, say something happy. Okay, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That's realism. And let's resolve as well, whether it's financial stress or otherwise, that having more is not going to do the trick. And... If you're in a hard set of circumstances, should you seek better circumstances? Of course. Should you pray? Should, should you work to raise circumstances? Should we do that for other people? Of course. On down the line. But just the change of external circumstances is not a magic wand or a magic bullet to make your stress go away. It's just not. A few years ago, Boston College did a study among those that are super rich. And with this study, they took people, and probably most of us in the room and online are not in this category. Super rich, according to the study, is if your net worth is $25 million or more. So 25 mil and up. Must be nice, but the people that actually have that much money say, no, it's not. 
And an article that I read summarizing the study put it this way. The respondents, the super rich, turn out to be a generally dissatisfied lot whose money has contributed to deep anxieties involving love, work, and family. Indeed, they are frequently dissatisfied even with their sizable fortunes. Most of them still do not consider themselves financially secure. 25 mil and above. For that, they say they would require, on average, one quarter more wealth than they currently possess. This is a philosophy major doing math, but about a quarter of 25 million is what? I actually don't know. <laughs> but it's a lot of million dollars, extra. And it's not just people that were at 25.1, but probably some people had 50 million or 100 million. Also saying, I need about a quarter more. So if only I had a little bit more, I would stress out less. Let that ship sail and stop chasing after it, because that's not going to give you what you want or what you need. How do we deal with our stress? This is where it gets interesting. If you look at means of coping with stress and anxiety around the world, whether from ancient times or more modern times, there, there, there are versions and other systems of thought besides Christianity, uh, some Eastern religions and otherwise, where you're stressing out about what you need. Well, the whole problem there is that you have needs. And what you need to do is renounce the fact that you have any needs at all, and then you'll be less stressed. So just zero out the fact that you have these even basic needs at all. And on this kind of thinking, and again, there are different varieties that would put it slightly different ways, your body and or the material world is at best indifferent and at worst a prison. And what you need to do is zero out your neediness and transcend your body, transcend material possessions, transcend all of this stuff, and then you'll find peace, then you'll find contentment. But the only problem with that, to me, and it's a big one, is if we zero out our needs, we also zero out our humanity. Jesus goes in a different direction, starting with verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Verse 32, for Gentiles seek after all these things. What Jesus is kind of saying here, and this is primarily an Israelite or Jewish audience, he's telling them, you people should know better. You people should know better. The Gentiles stress out about all of this stuff. And he's not throwing people that aren't ethnically Jewish under the bus here. But it's as if Jesus is saying to God's special people, the Israelites, in that time of history, you, to you has been revealed the living Lord, the one who has promised and covenanted to be with you through thick and thin, abounding in love and kindness, to provide for your every need, the God that brought you out of Egypt, the God that brought you through the wilderness, the God that promised to be your God forever, to be your provider. And you're acting like all those people that didn't have all that revelation of the gracious provision of God. And same for us. If we're jaded Christians here this morning, for those of us that are, we should know better when we get so stressed and so anxious. I'm not saying that we are better, because we're not, but we should know better. But then Jesus goes on in verse 32 to say something that is so striking to me. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
You see, the Christian story is not zero out your needs. Your needs are bad. If you have any needs at all, you just need to get rid of them, you horrid person. Here Jesus says, your heavenly Father knows that you have these needs, and that all in the original language here in which we have this Sermon on the Mount, that all is at the very end in an emphatic position to emphasize Your heavenly father knows not only that you have some needs over here, some needs over there, but all of them, read my lips, all of them, your father knows. So whether you're here this morning as somebody committed to Jesus, skeptical, working through, hear that Jesus knows you by name and a loving father, God of all the universe, has created you in such a way as to have basic needs. And God wants to provide for them. Don't gloss over that too quickly. When I stress out over all of these needs that I have, and some are legitimate, I can remind myself, God knows. God sees. God cares. But Jesus doesn't only leave us with realism. He leaves us with provision as well. So that's the realism. Let's talk now for a couple of minutes about the orientation kind of like this as we see it from this passage. Seek God's kingdom and receive his provision. Seek God's kingdom and receive his provision. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek God's kingdom. Receive his provision. Now, wait a second, Jim. Are you just kind of saying, trust God, and he'll work it out for you? And the answer is, yes. But that sounds so trite. But I'll come back and say, the beauty of it is that it really is that simple. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God is wise. Jesus is wise to tell us this. As if to say again, you should worry about what you're best at and let God be about what he's best at. Is it for you to know all things and control and compel all things according to your preferences and outcomes? No. And if you want to control things and stress out about all these things that are outside of your control, you're going to be a miserable person. Instead, by God's help and by God's Holy Spirit, what's in your control Trust in God, obedience, keeping close to Jesus by the scriptures and by his spirit, that's for you to do. And let the one who is the author of the universe, who does control all things, who does compel the world and even the cosmos all in the direction according to his good and glorious plan, let God handle that. Because he's the only one that actually can. This is all over the scriptures. One day I came across just a little verse from the ancient prophet Jeremiah that put it like this. I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself. And that it is not in man, in human beings, who walks to direct his steps. Our own way is not for us. The direction of our own steps is not for us. Of our family, of our nation. And yes, Do we engage? Do we work in appropriate ways? Of course. 
But at the end of the day, where any and all of this is going is not up to us, but it's up to God. So by faith, what steps might you take to push ahead in seeking first the kingdom of God? Maybe there are some key areas, if you're already a Christian, of the obedience of faith, like Paul calls it in Romans. We mentioned that last week. When you're keeping some obedience in some area off the table for God, God, I'll give you this, but I'm not going to give you this. Maybe you must be deeply molded all the more by the obedience of faith. Maybe you're not taking enough joy in Jesus. Whatever it is. Maybe there's not enough mission in your life. Living, speaking, and serving is the very presence of Jesus wherever God has placed you. Maybe you need to press in that direction and actually stress, stretch so that you need God more. So you're actually praying to God because you're stepping out more. Maybe it's that. Seek first God's kingdom. Press in that direction. And not even by commission, by omission, you'll find that the flip side of that coin is that as you press ahead into the things of God, your clenched fists around whatever you're stressing out about, bit by bit by bit, relax and open. Or maybe it is that you need to put the anxiety more front and center on the plate, in the light, before Jesus, and say, God, I need help. Maybe you need to reach out to a friend and say, I have been living under so much stress. I can't do this alone. I need Jesus and I need more friends to check in and help because I am a mess right now. How can we grow in trusting in God's care? Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? You see, Jesus is making a classic rabbinic argument from the lesser to the greater. He continues, I tell you, verse 29, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Considering the lilies, how they grow, nor toil, nor spin. Verse 30, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more, that's from the lesser to the greater, clothe you, O you of little faith. Jesus commands us not to be anxious. And the ways that I process this command and filter it, and again, this is maybe just me, other commands, I'll take more seriously as commands, or at least when I break those commands, it registers with me more immediately. If I lie, or I cheat, or I steal, even when I do those things, my radar is pinged more directly. God doesn't want me to do that. I should repent. I should confess. This is against God's word. I need to take God's word seriously in my life. But when Jesus says, verse 31, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, for example, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Somehow I filter that as optional. But I shouldn't. Do not be anxious. That's a command. But like I said earlier, it's a gracious command. And when it comes to obedience in this or other areas, there is a faith factor here. Do I actually trust that God created me and is commanding me exactly in the ways that are better for me 
that are honoring for God, that are for my flourishing and not against me, including here. God, do I trust you when you say, do not be anxious that this is a way that I must obey because you're right and because your word is true or not? But if you've had times in your life, especially under Jesus, when you've been more free from stress and anxiety, even when life was bonkers, weren't those the glory days when life really felt pretty good? Martin Luther, the church reformer from the 16th century, said yes, this, and this is one of our reflection quotes at the beginning of the worship folder. If God is kindly disposed to certain people and gives them success, they can often accomplish more in one hour without care or stress and anxiety than others in four whole days with great anxiety. It is in vain for you to try and anticipate and with your concern to work out what you think are great schemes. What God does is this. When he sees people fulfilling their duties diligently and faithfully, being concerned to do so in a God-pleasing way, and leaving the concern or anxiety over its success to God, he is generous in his gifts to such as those. This is kind of the flip side, and this is Martin Luther commenting on this passage, by the way. When Jesus says, but which of you? by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? The flip side is Martin Luther saying, you can accomplish more if you're not stressed and anxious in one hour than you can in four days when you're a stress ball. How might you grow in that direction? And if you do, that's where you find freedom to serve other people, to be less about yourself, less wrapped up in your own world, and when your circumstances remain the same, but stress and anxiety lowers, you find that you're not as busy as you think you are. You're not as maxed out. You're not as margin poor as you might think you are. Talking about college, I was involved in a campus ministry. Campus ministry is one of those ministry positions where, like, I never want to do it. <laughs> That's like... When I think about ministry positions, most of them I would never want to do. <laughs> they're, they're all great, and I need people like that in my life. But it's like, oh, that would be really hard. That would not fit me at all. I hear from campus ministers when they're trying to engage students on campus for Jesus. They talk about how busy and stressed that they are. One minute, hey, can you show up for this? No, I have so much homework. I'm so busy. But then the next day, the campus minister will overhear the student talking about how he or she played Xbox for 20 straight hours. Uh, you're less busy than you think you are. And not just to pick on that one thing, but probably stress and anxiety is causing us to think that we are slammed in ways that we're actually not. And I get it. This reorientation to God, seek God's kingdom and receive his provision, that's a faith stretcher. It really is. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And Jesus promises that all these things will be added to you. One comment that I heard about this passage from a position of skepticism says, okay, God says, just trust in him. He'll give you everything that, he, that you need. Every hungry child in the history of the world is proof that this is not true. Think about that. And surely some of those kids cried out to God. God, I'm hungry. 
And there's more that can be said there than I can at this point in the sermon. That, that's a real and weighty objection. And maybe you felt that yourself, even as a Christian. Hey, is this really true? Especially because the world is so crazy and painful, including today. Is it really the case that if I seek God's kingdom and his righteousness, that God's going to give me or our world what we need? I understand those stories. But I would encourage you, whether you're new to the faith, new to church, new to the church, or have been here a while, those aren't the only stories. And we can look around even this room and our community of faith and point to so many stories of people saying, I was at rock bottom, but God showed up. God provided. I thought I was at the 12th hour. Time had completely run out, but it was actually only the 11th hour because God provided in dramatic, only God could do this ways. Listen to those stories. Finally, the command do not be anxious is really hard, really hard. And I don't know if it would be possible for me at the end of the day to reorient myself to this command unless Jesus has first reoriented himself to me. At the end of this passage, Jesus says sufficient for its own day, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That word trouble can also be translated as evil kind of means both, and both actually fit, both translations would fit the context. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble, or sufficient for the day is its own evil. But either way, Jesus took all of that trouble and all of that evil upon himself on the cross. In the prayer of illumination at the beginning of this sermon, every command that Jesus has given is underwritten by his blood, by his sacrifice. And Jesus has truly provided, ultimately, eternally provided what we need through his crucifixion and resurrection. God meets us as we're stress balls. God meets us as we're sufferers. God meets us as we're sinners. And we need relief and provision for all of those things. And I'm not saying that stress is 100% sin. But I think realistically it's woven in there for sure. But whether it's that or in all of these other areas where we're sinful and broken and stressed out and suffering, Jesus says, let me take all of that upon myself and pay the penalty for your sin so that for all of the people of God that come to me by faith, it is no more. The debt is canceled. And the ship that you do want to sail on is this grace-filled one all the way to a new heavens and a new earth. I will, and not only that, God says in the gospel, I have provided everything that you need. But God, can you really provide? Through the cross, God comes back and speaks to us. Is not my son resurrected? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. 
You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post Sunday blues, a preaching post mortem, on the same podcast feed where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.